Amen. Well, good morning. It is always a, a joy and a, and a privilege uh, to be able to bring the word to this congregation. As, as uh, Jeff said, we are going to be looking at one of the psalm, psalms today. So if you would, if you have your Bible, please go ahead and make your way to Psalm 113. There was a an, uh, professor at a university who was who is a uh, staunch atheist, and before his class, before his first semester, the first class of every semester—that's the way it's supposed to be—the first class of every semester, he would stand before his congreg or his uh, his crowd, his students, and he would make a proclamation to them. He would say, if there is a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. And so the first class of every semester, he would make this proclamation again and again and again. And then he would say, you see, there is no God. And so before one of his classes, he stood up and he made this proclamation again. He said, if there is a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. And nothing happened. And he said, you see, there is no God. And one brave soul in the back spoke up. And he said, the only thing that you have proven is that God is good and God is gracious. We're going to be looking at Psalm 113 today, and Psalm 113 is the beginning of a collection of psalms, of hymns and songs called the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian Halil, and the name Halil is the Hebrew word for praise, and the Egyptian Halil is made up of Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and these are hymns of praise. And it's called the Egyptian Halil because of the, of the reference to the Exodus in Psalm 114, verse 1. And these hymns are sung during Jewish holy days, in particular, the Passover. And so typically what would happen is Psalm 113 through Psalm 115 would be sung before the meal, the Passover meal. And Psalm 116 through 118 would be sung after the Passover meal. And something that is interesting and, and humbling for us to consider this morning is that it is very likely that our Lord Jesus sang this song on the very night that He was betrayed. And so this morning we want to look at this song. And we want to consider who God is and who we are. And we don't know who wrote this psalm. We don't know for what occasion it was written. But the message of this psalm is timeless. And it is clear. God is worthy to be praised. And we can learn a great deal about praise from Psalm 113. Matter of fact, we can create a kind of a theology 
of praise through this song. Praise is essential for worship. Now, what is praise? A lot of times we we hear praise and worship together, but what praise is, is the, the singing to God. Now, for sure, worship is more than praise. But is it truly worship without praise? A worship service can and should have many elements. And many of those you have seen or will see today. Prayer, scripture, preaching of the word, baptism, the Lord's Supper. But sitting in a worship service doesn't make us worshipers. Mike Cosper in his book, Rhythms of Grace, says this. Our faith is a sung faith. The people of God sing in war and peace and victory and defeat, celebration and lament. On the one hand, our singing is otherworldly. We sing an ancient song that climaxes in the hazy but hope-filled future. We sing as a living people among the walking dead. Paul in Colossians 3.16 tells us, Sing, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. True worship involves passionate praise to God. And Psalm 113 teaches us that. And it also teaches us that true worship is God-centered. God is the subject and the object of our praise. And Psalm 113 is a call to offer praise to the only thing that can and should be the object of our worship. And so we're going to dive in to this psalm. So if you would, let's look at Psalm 113, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its sitting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who is like the Lord our God? There's no one. Verse 1 starts with, Praise the Lord. Now this is one word in the Hebrew, Halil Yah. And we just said Halil is the word is the Hebrew word for praise, and Yah is the name of God, Yahweh contracted. And that is where we get the word that we use, Hallelujah. 
And it is used here as an exhortation to praise God. The psalmist begins and ends with an exhortation for his people to praise God. And 1 through 3 tells us that God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to be praised in all situations, at all times. And then verse 1 tells us those who are to praise. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Now this may be a, a reference to priests and Levites, but most likely it is a reference to all of Israel. When God redeemed His people from the bonds of Egypt, they became the servants of the Lord. And the same is true for those of us who have been redeemed from our sin, our bondage of sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the servants of the Lord. And what a wonderful privilege that is. What a wonderful privilege it is to be able to come and to be able to gather together with God's people and give praise to the Lord. And because of that, it should be our joy to praise the Lord. And so the question is, who, who is it that we serve? John read Matthew 16 earlier, and Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The self-serving life is a wasted life. True life is found when God is at the center of it. In obedient service to the Lord. And this is scary to us. Because many of us, whether we like to admit it or not, worship the God of comfort. And we are afraid that God is going to call us away from that comfort. God is going to call us away from our job. And for some of us, that means our identity. For God's going to call us away from our extended family. Brothers, sisters, mother, father. Away from our friends. But church, this calling is even more radical than that. What this calling tells us is that we are to be consumed with the praise of the Lord in every season of life. Whatever that means. And so, as I said earlier, this psalm was likely sung by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Imagine Jesus singing verse 2 
knowing what awaited him. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is our example. Our praise is not limited to good days. Our praise is not limited to good circumstances. Our praise is not limited to times of plenty. From this time forward, from this time forth, and forevermore, what that means is, right here, right now, right where I am. And as we face the future, we we have no guarantees. No matter where you are today, your tomorrow can change with a phone call. A phone call that says, I'm sorry, your job has been eliminated. I'm sorry, your son or daughter is not coming home. I'm sorry. It is cancer. And blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. (laughs) From the rising of the sun to its setting, The name of the Lord will be praised whatever tomorrow brings. One of God's faithful missionaries was Alan Gardner. He experienced many physical difficulties and hardships uh, through his service to his Savior. And despite his troubles, he said, while God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. In 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while he was serving at the Picton Island at the southern tip of South America. And when his body was found, his diary laid nearby and it bore a record of hunger and thirst and wounds and loneliness. And the last entry was difficult to read because his hands had begun to shake so much. And the last entry that he wrote is, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. The Westminster Catechism asks this question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In these times that we have here, these times that we have on Sunday to gather together and to hear the Word preached and to hear the Word sung and to pray for one another and to hold one another up are just a glimpse are just a taste of what eternity 
will be. And so verses 1 through 3, we are given the call to praise the Lord. And verses 4 through 9 give us the cause to praise the Lord. Will you look at verses 4 through 9 with me? The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory is and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. God is incomparable. And the writer points us in two directions. He points us to heights and he points us to depths. He points us up and he points us down. No one is high enough to reach the level of God. And no one is low enough that God can't lift you. One pastor put it this way. He said, God is a God of exalted majesty and condescending mercy. Verse 4, God is above us. Above nations. Above all earthly powers. God's chosen people was Israel. Israel was not a powerful nation. They were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They were surrounded by Vast enemies, vast armies, again and again they survived, not because they had great kings or great armies. We spent a long time in First and Second Kings reading about how one king was worse than the next. But because God is high above all nations. But even above that, the writer goes on to say that His glory is above the heavens. The psalmist points this out by showing us where the Lord sits and telling us what the Lord sees. The second part of verse 5, who is seated on high. Verse 6, who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth. We live in a world that is obsessed with power. A world that is obsessed with fame, with fortune, with what this world deems as success. And this is not uh, a new thing. This has always been. In the 30s and 40s, there was a man by the with the initials of WW. And for most of America during that time, this was enough to identify him. 
He was widely considered the creator of the gossip column, the newspaper gossip column. And in his heyday, he was rude, he was abrasive, he was egotistical, he was witty. He was one of the most widely read journalists in America. As a matter of fact, in 1943, there were about 140 million people in, in America, and more than 50 million of them read his column daily. 50 million out of 140 million. And even more than that, listen to his weekly radio broadcast. He was hated. He was feared. He was revered. He would create or destroy celebrities at the drop of a hat. And yet, when he died in 1972 at the age of 74, he was practically forgotten. Only two people attended his funeral, his daughter and the rabbi that, provi- that presided over it. And I dare say that many of you have ever heard the name Walter Winchell. Greatness is too often self-prescribed and not reality. Who is like the Lord our God? Verses 7 through 9 show us that this great God of majesty who looks down on heaven and earth is also a God of great mercy. A God of great graciousness. Look at verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust and He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now the poor are those who are without. And the needy are those who live with the consequences of being poor. And God cares for the poor and for the needy. God works through the weak and the poor to display His greatness. Again, look at Israel, God's chosen people. God didn't choose them because they were a great nation. He chose them because they weren't. And all throughout Scripture, we see God chooses the lesser, the lesser, the, the smallest brother, the one that's considered the weakest, the woman who's barren. Christmas, the story of Christmas, the infinitely high becomes inconceivably low. But what is described in verse 7 is the poorest of the poor. He raises the poor from the dust. Now what do you think of when you you hear that? This is participation time. So what do you you think of when when you hear that? From the dust. From Adam? Okay. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, it looks like dust, dirt, dirty, sitting, in the, sitting on the 
side of the, the road, no, no home, no floor, right? Nothing, having nothing. But the most vivid description is the second part of this. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now this takes a little bit of explanation. This is one place where the King James Version actually is a little more descriptive than the ESV Version. The King James Version says, from the dung hill. That's pretty descriptive, right? The garbage heap. The place where everything is, is taken and discarded. And just about any city in the ancient world that you went to, you walk out of that city in just about any direction and you would find one of these places, one of these dung hills, a, a garbage heap, a dump as we might call it. And these places would get full and they would get smelly and they would burn them. And so the ashes, the ash heap, is what is left. And so these people were the poorest of the poor, rummaging around in these places, in these dung hills, in these garbage heap, trying to find whatever they could to survive. And we are told here that God loves the poorest of the poor. And He lifts them up. The God who sits on high reaches down to those who are low. Those that no one else cares about. And then this is further illustrated in verse 9. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Now, you need to understand a little context here. For a woman to be barren in this time is an absolute tragedy. It's a curse. It's an absolute disgrace. Her position, her security, her future are all dependent on her having children and especially Male children. One commentator said it this way, when you see barrenness in any Hebrew text, it is the effective metaphor for hopelessness. Barrenness means not only that there is no foreseeable future, but also no human power to invent a future. And we see this all through Scripture. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah. God loves the broken. God loves the weak. And He lifts them up out of the ashes. Now what is this psalmist pointing us to? Well, in both Hebrew and Greek, the word for hell is Gehenna. And this word is taken from one of these places. 
It's taken from one of these dung heaps, one of these piles of garbage that they would burn and the fires would burn day and night and the smoke would billow. And Jesus Christ came to earth in His mercy, in His grace, and He was dragged outside of the city. And we read in Hebrews 13, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the, serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Jesus was taken outside the city. And He was put on a a cross... And he took the wrath and the punishment that you and I deserve. And through that, we are lifted out of the ash heap. But we are lifted much further And what the psalmist describes here in verse 8, further than sitting with princes, but what Paul describes to us in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul is talking about we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. And then in verse 4, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Folks, did you hear all the past tense words that are used in that? This is done. If we are in Christ, this is done. Praise the Lord. And that's where the psalmist ends Psalm 113, the same way that he began. Praise the Lord. What does it take to move us to praise the Lord? When we come to the Lord's table, we should come in humility and reverence. But it also reminds us of our greatest 
reason to celebrate. There is no one like the Lord our God. We come in remembrance of the one who said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And so when you came in, in your seat, you should have a cup. And just by way of instruction, there are two tabs. One tab releases the wafer. And the other, the cup. The Lord's Supper is a a special time for believers. And so if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted in Christ as your your Lord and Savior and followed Him in believer's baptism, then then we would just ask that you observe this time as this is a, a special time for us. If you're a guest with us this morning and you are a believer, we would invite you to partake with us for this is the Lord's table, not Providence's table. And so we're going to take a a moment and reflect. A moment of reflection, a moment of confession, and a moment to center our focus on the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. So if you would, take a moment. Matthew 26, 26. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins let's pray Father, Lord God, we, we thank you, Father, for this word as imperfectly as it was delivered, and Father, we pray that it would urge us to praise you, 
from the rising of the sun to its sitting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord is to be praised in times of plenty and in times of need. And Father, let these words that we are about to sing ring true in our hearts. Who has held the oceans in His hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at His voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God seated on His throne. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore Him. Father, let us sing to You now. And let us praise You, for You are worthy to be praised. It is in Your great name we pray.